Hello and welcome to Eureka Nerd. I am Will Davis, a sticky toffee pudding. And I'm Leah Richards. Black Forest Gatto, you know, the ones with the fresh cream inside. Indulgent. What does that have to do with anything? You're not going to find out for probably like the next 20 minutes because we have a very special episode for you today. A very special world-ending episode. You know, apart from all the other world-ending episodes that we've done. I prefer the ones where we save the world. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people out there who aren't trying. Well, how about we try and put a positive spin on all of these then, that we have the problems, let's offer some solutions. A big problem, which you may have heard of out in the world, dear listener, is the evil of plastics. And the eviler evil of microplastics. Teeny tiny ones you can't even see, but they just end up inside jellyfish. Big plastics are a problem. We'll wait for the reply from uh, material physicist friend Anna Plaszowski to tell us that not all plastics are the problem. She's right! She's, She's right! She is right, but we've got a narrative arc and I'm sticking to it. I'm not. <laughs> I am not enabling your narrative arc. However... However, microplastics are a problem. And they are everywhere. They're very small, very hard to see, and they wash up everywhere from the Israeli coastline they've been found all the way down to the Great Barrier Reef. That's actually uh, not even an entire hemisphere. But they are both very far away from me, so that makes them sound exotic. Does that mean that you're safe from microplastics? Oh, no. I drink tap water. That's a problem. I eat some fish products. That's a problem. I'm going to live for the next 50-something years, probably. That's going to keep being a problem. I am not immune. When was the last time you ate a fish product? Because, you I mean, you don't do it in my presence very often. No, because I'm civil. If I <laughs> ate any of the tin tuna that I take for my lunches sometimes around you, you would knock the spoon from my hand and then the smell would just be around us forever. No, I'd just leave the house. I'd just go, okay, I'm going to leave you to hang out with this stench for a bit. And I'd go like hang out in the park like a delinquent teenager drinking cider around the back of the graves yeah i mean that's just bristol <laughs> that's everywhere delinquent teenagers getting drunk in parks is traditional up and down the nation yeah but in bristol it is most of the ways that people recommend spending a weekend you go to the park there's probably graves in it because everything's got a grave or castle in it around here and you drink cider because it's the local produce you drink cider and practice your circus skills, of course. But enough about the TripAdvisor reviews for Castle Park here in Bristol. Let's move on to the problems of plastics. Do they actually pose a problem to human health? This is the question put forward by a press release from the American Chemical Society discussing an article in Chemical and Engineering News, the weekly news magazine of the American Chemical Society. It has been established that Microplastics are definitely ending up inside humans. There's been an assessment of faecal matter, which has discovered it's just full of the stuff, but are they doing us any damage? It's not yet known, but people are looking into it. I mean, we've heard in the last few years stuff about being careful about your water bottles not containing BPA and phthalates. It's probably not good for you to be consuming the tiny plastics. We don't know if they're going to cause, like, physical issues. Um, as they're passing through, or if they're going to go through harmlessly, but... She's doing a shrug for the listeners at home who couldn't figure out what that was. Now, senior editor Alex Scott explains that, quote, Seabirds and marine mammals, including some fish that humans eat, often take up microplastics from the ocean. Humans also might ingest these small bits that are shed from plastic packaging, and the products, like you mentioned, that contain them. 
A small recent study identifying the microplastics in human feces does indicate that there's some pass-through. Maybe there's some lingering about. What really gets me about this press release, though, is they ask a question that they don't have an answer to. They say, is there an effect on human health? We're gonna find out eventually, because these tiny buggers are everywhere, I guess. But they don't actually answer it with a yes or no. The closest to an answer they give is, not all microplastics are equal, they can be made of different compounds and additives that could have different effects. In addition, contaminant compounds and bacteria can hitch a ride on microplastics, potentially complicating analysis. Despite these challenges, though, many organizations around the world are now trying to get a handle on this issue. Some are funding studies, others are setting up task forces and holding symposia, and people are doing work, is the general takeaway from this. Yeah, they do note that while there's a great big shiny question mark over this whole thing, the scientific community seems to agree that consumers should just keep enjoying seafood until there are answers. So, you know... If you do enjoy seafood in your life, I guess carry on doing that. Have fun. I'm not gonna, because I've got a new office, and anything that you put in their microwave, that's just going to be in the office all day. It's very poorly ventilated. I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not going to do that to you. <laughs> You're not even going to, like, treat yourself to some calamari at a restaurant or something, though? Maybe. Or, if they don't like me at my new job, then on my last day, when I like, get fired or quit or whatever, then I will microwave lots of onion and garlic fish. Just, you know, make my absence known. Smoked mackerel's the stinkiest one in my experience. Mm. My mum's okay. got a real taste for it, and it will it just stinks out the whole house. I'll slip one of those down the back of the radiators or something. That's evil. But is it as evil as microplastics? Yes. Yes, it is. It will definitely send you to hell if you believe in any sort of afterlife that's based on moral judgment. Well, whilst I might be scared of swallowing plastic, there's maybe some advantages to it if you believe the people from MIT, and you can generally trust the people from MIT to have thought of things pretty carefully. However, they're not just saying chug on any kind of plastic you can find. Eat glitter. Oh, that's a problem. There's a difference between edible glitter and glitter that you can eat. Someone got in a lot of trouble for marketing the latter as the former and oh, just, yeah. like, shredding the insides of a bunch of toddlers. Bad scene. Bad, bad scene. Bad scene. What MIT are suggesting you might do, though, is rather than just chugging on a tub of whatever you've got left over from your arts and crafts supplies, is do some good with it. Chug on some insulin. But only if you, like, need extra. Yeah. As appropriate. We're not we're not talking about perfectly healthy people with functioning pancreas. It's just yeah, just down some insulin, no problem. Hey guys, we're doing the insulin challenge twenty nineteen. <laughs> Don't do that. This team from MIT have developed a pill which will inject insulin into your stomach so that you don't have to inject it into your arms or whatever. Now, these pills contain little plastic eggs which once they reach your stomach can press up against the lining of your stomach. They have a little self-writing bubble in them so they don't end up tumbling around inside you and going in the wrong place. And once they get that kind of pressure against the wall of your stomach, they go psh, inject the insulin directly into the bloodstream and away you go. So there's none of the faffing around with the needles, with the supply, with the beeping machine reminding you that you need to take the injection now. It's just with breakfast in the morning. They do kind of look like little kinder eggs 
or little Robotnik eggs if you ever played any of the Sonic <laughs> games. Some of the Robotnik bosses would spit eggs at you and they look kind of like those. These pills have a very small needle inside of them. So they have moving parts. They are plastic. Apparently the biopolymer will degrade. The stainless steel components will probably stick around though, but there's plenty of stainless steel pollution littering the waters and byways of England as it is, so that's fine. So many trolleys. So many shopping trolleys in canals. What are we doing? They're like Venetian gondolas. <laughs> now, they do describe the capsules as being about the size of a blueberry, which I'd say is a fairly large thing for most people to swallow. I've seen a lot of size variation in blueberries, so I really have no judgment for this. I mean, I'm thinking like sort of 15 millimetres across. The ones they've got in this picture seem to be on the smaller end of things, if they can fit within a plastic capsule. Admittedly, probably the one of the larger plastic capsules that you are likely to swallow. Yeah, I was going to say, the plastic capsule is it could be any size. There's nothing there for scale. We haven't got, like, a coin or something that we can judge it against. The takeaway here is, for people who require additional insulin in your bodies, you may not have to use injections. If MIT can tell us how big their blueberries are than this... <laughs> might have more use for you than not. At MIT, get back to us at Eureka Nerdcast on Twitter or Eureka Nerdcast at gmail.com. That's Eureka Nerdcast at gmail.com. Thanks, MIT. So, plastic pollution in your body, maybe not for the best, but maybe could be for quite good. Yeah, and they think that this capsule technology could be used to deliver all sorts of other protein drugs, which is good stuff. Do you think anti-vaxxers would be okay if vaccinations came in a pill rather than in a big scary needle? Um, only if you tell them it's a homeopathic remedy. It looks kind of like a blueberry. That makes it healthy, right? It's not, it's not full of a vaccine. It's full of a very, very, very diluted strain of a virus. And steel components. <laughs> they might not like that part. They get really upset about the mercury, even though it's a single atom combined into another molecule. Well, we can worry about anti-vaxxers later. We should worry about them all of the time because they've led to a outbreak of measles in Costa Rica, which has previously been measle-free for years because just some French people turned up with an unvaccinated kid. That's a modern science story, which is not in our news list. We'll come back to that some other time. Instead, let's keep on riding the plastic wave all the way to our next story, with research from Purdue University, who are making the best of a bad scene by turning plastics into fuel and other products. I think they've discovered recycling. A particularly high-tech kind of recycling, which is exciting. Although I'm concerned about the concept of turning waste plastic into more hydrocarbon fuel. I'm not sure how clean that actually is, to be honest. But they can also turn it into useful polymers, which would be good for stuff like thermosetting plastics, like the stuff you make your saucepan handles out of. That's not normally recyclable. You can't melt it. The United Nations estimates that more than 8 million tonnes of plastics flow into the oceans each year, according to the press release. A new chemical conversion process could transform the world's polyolefin waste, a form of plastic, into useful products such as clean fuels and other items. This is a really strong way to open a press release that, hey, you know that plastic pollution that you've seen and heard and have done so much of? We can help. We've got effects. We've got some wonderful statistics in this press release, such as 
clean fuels derived from the polyolefin waste generated each year can satisfy 4% of the annual demand for gasoline or diesel fuels. I'm not sure if they're talking about globally or in the US. First one, then the other. But 4% is a good number. 4% out of gasoline consumed even within the US. That is a huge chunk. Of all the plastics produced over the past 65 years, 8.3 billion tonnes, about 12% have been incinerated. 9% recycled, and the remaining 79% is buried or floating around in the Pacific garbage gyre. That's a ton of plastic garbage per person on the planet today. It's a lot. That's an awful lot. lot of plastic. What's that number about nearly half of plastic waste in the ocean is actually, like, dumped fishing equipment and not plastic straws? Yeah, looking at the... Big causes of problems often is scary. Looking at the personal causes of problems, people feel a bit more empowered to do something about that. Unfortunately, the biggest like personal pollutant into the water, excluding fishing waste, is cigarette butts. Because those don't degrade either. Oh. So if you needed another reason to quit smoking, then do it for the fish. Although, I can imagine there's a fair amount of plastic waste produced by vaping, so you might want to... Just figure out actually a different quit. way to wean yourself off, yeah. Let's defer to the expert insights of Linda Wang, the Maxine Spencer Nichols Professor in the Davidson School of Chemical Engineering at Purdue University and leader of the research team developing this technology, who says, Our strategy is to create a driving force for recycling by converting polyolefin waste into a wide range of valuable products, including polymers, naphtha, which is a mixture of hydrocarbons, or clean fuels. Our conversion technology has the potential to boost the profits of the recycling industry and shrink the world's plastic stock. And if that doesn't sound like the kind of initiative to really throw a lot of weight and research and momentum behind, I don't know what is. Save the world and like have the financial incentives for stuffy old people in boardrooms to look at it and go, hmm, I guess we can make more of all of the money now. They're probably going to chip in. Okay, but topple capitalism. Um, on the other, <laughs> on the other hand, Wang and her team are looking for investors to help turn this into a commercial scale venture. So, if you've got some extra cash that you want to invest into some cool technology, maybe they should get a Kickstarter going for you know saving the world or something. Back a rewards if you pledge this amount, you survive. Oh, there's no guaranteeing that. I'm not saying they're going to save you from whatever might kill you. They're not going to throw themselves in front of a speeding bus and knock you out of the way. No, I just mean, when the revolution comes, things are going to get messy. You know what else is messy? What else is messy? Sticky toffee pudding. Apple pie drenched in custard, cream, ice cream, and all manner of other dairy goods. Cheesecake? You say raspberry coolie. I'm going to have to put this podcast on hold and we're going to get some delivery going. Because there's only so much time in your day for revolution, only so much time in your day for saving the world. And our thanks do go to the researchers who are out there sweeping up all of the microplastics and trying to figure out the health impacts, who are out there developing ways for people who require insulin to get it into their body without going through the arduous process of daily injections. For the people out there who are turning plastic into fuel and more reusable forms of an important material in everyone's daily life. But let's talk about the good stuff in life. The stuff that makes life worth living. The stuff that is worth saving the world for... Dessert. (laughs) Honestly, I feel very sorry for people who can't, like, 
enjoy their food. They're out there and they're in a very sad pickle because like cake is wonderful. It is. This podcast might be my favourite in a while because it brings together my two favourite subjects about saving the world and having a lot of very sweet foods put into my body. You are such a Taurus. <laughs> Allegedly. You, you say allegedly, that's literally, that's when your birthday is. It's a fact. Yeah, but I don't it know. It might not mean anything. I haven't but... seen my horoscope, but if it says, Taurus, this week is a good week for you to save the world and have some crumble. <laughs> if that's what I read in the Metro tomorrow, then I will have to reconsider a couple of things. But until then, a round of applause, please, for the American Psychological Association. Not physical, psychological because this is brain more than body, who say that high-calorie desserts might not be all bad. Essentially, they seem to have discovered, via a series of experiments with assessing people's cafeteria-line choices, if you have decided that you're going to treat yourself with an indulgent dessert, like a nice big slice of cheesecake, you're going to be picking a healthier option for your main meal. It's like people plan a meal. Like, they've got an idea of what is healthy, what is unhealthy, and how they can balance that out. But it only works if you chose dessert before the rest of your meal. There's this kind of psychological impulse to justify the indulgence. That if you pick the healthy option, in this case it was a fruit bowl, then when it comes around to selecting your main meal, you might not make the quote-unquote healthiest choice, or the lowest calorie selection. They noticed that the effect of having chosen your indulgent pudding does disappear if you're distracted while you're making your food choices. You've got to actually like make the effort. You can't be busy on your phone or something. And if a psychologist has given you a task to do before you get into the cafeteria line, then that's not helpful. These pesky psychologists popping up, asking questions, doing research. Hey, hey, remember this number for me. You've got to tell me it when you sit down to eat. Oh, God, okay, um, okay, uh, cake, um, five, six, three, two. Was that with chips, love? Yes. Chips, One. okay. And so on and so forth. You're welcome, American Psychological Association, for that beautiful dramatic rendition of this methodology. You're welcome. I'm sure we'll get our credits when they do the follow-up study. Now, I do want to stress that the press release doesn't actually suggest a mechanism exactly for this. They just state the numbers that people are likely to choose the lower calorie option for their main meal if they have already chosen the higher calorie option for pudding and thereby end up overall consuming fewer calories. I do want to point out, as I often do when we're talking about nutrition, that calories really aren't the be-all end-all of nutrition and possibly might be completely meaningless in the context of actually processing food inside of a body. But I guess if you're arbitrarily choosing that as your way of measuring the nutritional value of your food, yeah, fewer calories consumed overall if you chose to have the exciting pudding before you picked your main meal. Or, in the words of Martin Raymond, Assistant Professor of Marketing at the University of Arizona, one of the lead study authors, people should be aware that their initial food choices and their mindset may affect the overall healthiness of their meals. Know that you have a choice. Make a good one, where possible. True in food as in all things. But if you, like us, want to have your cake and eat it by saving the world and sticking around for dessert, then you can do many good things in your life. Maybe you can 
Help directly with the research at Purdue University. Maybe you can reduce your plastic consumption in your day-to-day life. Pressure your governments, companies, and so on and so forth to do bigger things to reduce plastic usage? Mm -hmm. Direct action, group action is also very welcome. And you can subscribe to Eureka Nerd wherever you find your podcasts. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you're listening to us right now. You can also find us on various forms of social media, usually at Eureka Nerdcast and at EurekaNerdcast at gmail.com. That's EurekaNerdcast at gmail.com. But just before we part ways, one more piece of research to keep the fire lit under you and keep you pushing forward to do good things in your life. Always remember that. Major tobacco companies pay almost no corporation tax, despite massive profits. Boy, I do love the smell of tax dodging in the morning. Smells like tobacco. Or coffee. Or overworked warehouse employees. There's quite a lot of ways tax dodging can smell, huh? What can I say? It stinks. On that awful pun, that's all from me. And all from me. Bye-bye. They say, is there an effect on human health? We're gonna find out eventually, because this... Because these tiny buggers are everywhere, I guess. But they don't actually answer it with a yes or no. You used to swear you're not allowed to broadcast. I avoided a much bigger swear by saying tiny buggers. Much bigger swear. Also, if we weren't allowed to broadcast just because of swearing, we'd have had to stop at episode two. I've bleeped a lot of what we've done. I know. <laughs> we have an entire episode called Soccer Balls Swearing and I think I Yoga. Know, I know, I know. But, like, you bleep them out, so it's fine. I'm not going to bleep buggers. Even if my dad tells me off for swearing because there's the bleeps in there. Anyway.